Section 9 of Rudder Grange. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Rudder Grange by Frank R. Stockton. Chapter 5. Pomona Produces a Partial Revolution in Rudder Grange. Part 1. Euphemia began to take a great deal of comfort in her girl. Every evening she had some new instance to relate of Pomona's inventive abilities and aptness in adapting herself to the peculiarities of our method of housekeeping. "'Only to think,' said she, one afternoon, "'Pomona has just done another very smart thing. You know what a trouble it has always been for us to carry all our wastewater upstairs and throw it over the bulwarks. Well, she has remedied all that. She has cut a nice little low window in the side of the kitchen, and has made a shutter of the piece she cut out, with leather hinges to it, and now she can just open this window, throw the water out, shut it again, and there it is. I tell you she's smart. Yes, there is no doubt of that, I said, but I think that there is a danger of her taking more interest in such extraordinary and novel duties than in the regular work of the house. Now don't discourage the girl, my dear, she said, for she is of the greatest use to me, and I don't want you to be throwing cold water about like some people. Not even if I throw it out of Pomona's little door, I suppose. No, don't throw it at all. Encourage people. What would the world be if everybody chilled our aspirations and extraordinary efforts, like Fulton's steamboat? All right, I said. I'll not discourage her. It was now getting late in the season. It was quite too cool to sit out on deck in the evening, and our garden began to look desolate. Our boarder had wheeled up a lot of fresh earth, and had prepared a large bed in which he had planted turnips. They made an excellent fall crop, he assured us. From being simply cool it began to be rainy, and the weather grew decidedly unpleasant. But our boarder bade us take courage. This was probably the equinoctial, and when it was over there would be a delightful Indian summer, and the turnips would grow nicely. This sounded very well, but the wind blew up cold at night, and there was a great deal of unpleasant rain. One night it blew what Pomona called a whirlicane, and we went to bed very early to keep warm. We heard our boarder on deck in the garden after we were in bed, and Euphemia said she could not imagine what he was about, unless he was anchoring his turnips to keep them from blowing away. During that night I had a dream. I thought I was a boy again, and was trying to stand upon my head, a feat for which I had been famous. But instead of throwing myself forward on my hands, and then raising my heels backward over my head, in the orthodox manner, I was on my back, and trying to get on my head from that position. I woke suddenly, and found that the footboard of the bed was much higher than our heads. We were lying on a very much inclined plane, with our heads downward. I roused Euphemia, and we both got out of bed, when almost at the same moment we slipped down the floor into ever so much water. Euphemia was scarcely awake, and she fell down, gurgling. It was dark, but I heard her fall, and jumped over the bedstead to her assistance. I had scarcely raised her up when I heard a pounding at the front door, or main hatchway, and our boarder shouted, "'Get up! Come out of that! Open the door! The old boat's turning over!' My heart fell within me, but I clutched Euphemia. I said no word, and she simply screamed. I dragged her over the floor, sometimes in the water and sometimes out of it. I got the dining-room door open and set her on the stairs. They were in a topsy-turvy condition, but they were dry. I found a lantern which hung on a nail, with a match-box under it, and I struck a light. Then I scrambled back and brought her some clothes. All this time the boarder was yelling and pounding at the door. When Euphemia was ready I opened the door and took her out. "'You go dress yourself,' said the boarder. "'I'll hold her here until you come back.' 
I left her and found my clothes, which, chair and all, had tumbled against the foot of the bed and had not gone into the water, and soon reappeared on deck. The wind was blowing strongly, but it did not now seem to be very cold. The deck reminded me of the gangplank of a Harlem steamboat at low tide. It was inclined at an angle of more than forty-five degrees, I am sure. There was light enough for us to see about us, but the scene and all the dreadful circumstances made me feel the most intense desire to wake up and find it all a dream. There was no doubt, however, about the boarder being wide awake. "'Now then,' said he, "'take hold of her on that side, and we'll help her over here. You scramble down on that side. It's all dry just there. The boat's turned over toward the water, and I'll lower her down to you. I'll let a rope over the sides. You can hold on to that as you go down.' I got over the bulwarks and let myself down to the ground. Then the boarder got Euphemia up and slipped her over the side, holding to her hands and letting her gently down until I could reach her. She never said a word, but screamed at times. I carried her a little way up the shore and set her down. I wanted to take her up to a house nearby where we bought our milk, but she declined to go until we had saved Pomona. So I went back to the boat, having carefully wrapped up Euphemia to endeavor to save the girl. I found that the boarder had so arranged the gangplank that it was possible, without a very great exercise of agility, to pass from the shore to the boat. When I first saw him, on reaching the shelving deck, he was staggering up the stairs with a dining-room chair and a large framed engraving of Raphael's Dante, an ugly picture but full of true feeling, at least so Euphemia always declared, though I am not quite sure that I know what she meant. "'Where is Pomona?' I said, endeavouring to stand on the hillside of the deck." "'I don't know,' said he, "'but we must get the things out. "'The tide's rising and the wind's getting up. "'The boat will go over before we know it.' "'But we must find the girl,' I said. "'She can't be left to drown.' "'I don't think it would matter much,' said he, "'getting over the side of the boat with his awkward load. "'She would be of about as much use drowned as any other way. "'If it hadn't been for the hole that she cut in the side of the boat, "'this would never have happened.' "'You don't think it was that,' I said, holding the picture in the chair while he let himself down to the gangplank. "'Yes, it was,' he replied. "'The tide's very high, and the water got over that hole and rushed in. The water and the wind will finish this old craft before very long.'" End of section 9